Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Oliver here this week. This week I interviewed David Zipper, journalist extraordinaire, currently at Harvard and set to be on stage with us in April at Micromobility America about the latest in the mobility data specification discussion. MDS is the specification used by cities and operators to report and communicate to each other about shared micromobility services, where these vehicles are, where they can go, and the sort. It's the thin end of the wedge regarding how cities and operators of shared mobility services will interact with each other going forward. David is the best in the business covering these issues, and it was great to have him on again. Before we jump into the episode, though, I do want to thank our sponsor and a project that I'm very excited about, Helium. There's a whole world of devices out there, from parking meters to packages, scooters, bikes, and more. All of these things should connect to the internet, but Wi-Fi and Bluetooth both have limited range, and cellular data plans like those used to connect scooters can be pricey. Wouldn't it make sense for all these devices to have their own internet, a network that works just for them so they can stay connected anywhere, anytime? Helium is building the People's Network, the world's first peer-to-peer wireless network. Powered by Helium's LongFi technology, this network enables companies to connect devices and collect data in ways never before possible by delivering secure, ubiquitous coverage at a fraction of the cost of cellular. With a range 200 times that of Wi-Fi and very low power requirements to maximize battery life, it's helping micromobility companies keep track of their fleets and vehicles. I've followed them for a few years and I'm personally very excited about Helium. It's an honor to have them sponsor the podcast. Check them out at helium.com. And now, here is David. And welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today, David Zipper. How are you doing today, David? Really good. Glad to be back with you, Oliver. Yeah, awesome. Well, look, I mean, folks who are joining us for the first time with David, David was on the the podcast, when was it, mid last year, I'd say. We ran through the mobility data specification, but I thought we would have David back on to take us through what's happened since. And for those folks who are coming to this very new, David is going to do a little bit of an introduction. So David, would you want to take it away and uh, let us know what? Well, actually, no, also, so I want people to know who you are. So do you want to also do that as well for folks who are coming to this very green? Yeah, I'm happy to. I'm glad to be back. I'm based in Washington, D.C., and I am a visiting fellow at Harvard at the Kennedy School of Government, where I focus on urban mobility and technology and ways in which the private sector and and local policies sort of interact with one another. And I have a background working with startups as well as with cities and transit agencies around these topics. I continue to do that actually on the side. And I write articles pretty frequently about urban mobility and tech in Slate and Wired, City Lab, so forth and so on. And I think relevant for the conversation we're about to have, I wrote in April of 2019 a deep dive in Slate about the mobility data specification that I think was the first article to really try to explain what was at stake, why it was so important, and frankly, why it was becoming quite controversial. And frankly, in the last you know eight months since then, if anything, I think it's become a little bit more controversial. So yeah, it'll be fun to, to get back into it. Should I, should I give maybe like a quick summary of MDS with the caveat that I think if folks want to go deeper... We did have a great conversation about it last June, I believe. So folks can always download that episode, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I'll link to it in the show notes, but for folks who are keen to go check that out, that's definitely a better primer. But yeah, top line. Yeah, I'll be brief, but I do hope folks can listen to that, that episode if they want to get more into it. But suffice to say that the mobility data specification was really created by the Los Angeles Department of Transportation, where the general manager is a woman named Salita Reynolds, who really in like 2017, before shared scooters were around at all, had concluded she wanted her city, Los Angeles, to be able to better manage private mobility services that were going to arrive. She'd had a bad experience with Ride Hail in San Francisco when she was a public official there, and she wanted Los Angeles to be better equipped to handle new technologies like AVs and drones in the future. But then, surprisingly, scooters showed up first. And so MBS began, was developed as a data specification specifically for micromobility. And it was developed openly on GitHub with Los Angeles in the lead with a private company that we'll probably talk more about called Ellison Associates, helping out a lot with some input as well from the mobility providers in California. And now it's spread to over 50 cities across the U.S. and several globally as well. Just really briefly, what, what MDS is, is two APIs or ways to communicate between scooter companies and the devices and a city. The first API is called Provider, and that's going to send information from the scooter devices to a city about things like, are they charged or not? Are they, where exactly, are they in use or not? Sometimes what route they took, that's something we'll get into a little bit later. And then the other API is Agency, which is information really flowing from the city to the providers themselves. That could provide instructions, it could provide other kinds of information as well, and Basically, with, and this is important, for MDS, for the cities that are using it, they're all using provider, and only Los Angeles now is using agency, which is an important point. And then just, I think the last point to make now as we sort of set things up for the conversation is, you know, what's the purpose of this? What kind of problems can be solved? And that's something Oliver and I, you know, we talked a lot about in our previous podcast. But just at the high points, I think the, the reason why LA and a lot of other cities were excited to build MDS or use MDS is not only to create sort of just like a standard so that every city isn't asking for different types of information, different formats, but also be able to inform the kinds of decisions they might make, like where to put in a protected bike lane and also how to day-to-day -day just manage the scooter caps a lot of cities are managing and keep an eye on, on where scooters are parked and equity distributions, things like that. And I guess maybe I should mention briefly the controversy around it, just for context. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll also just jump in as well, because the reason that I think this has been very interesting from Horace and my perspective has been we've been thinking a lot about we see micromobility as being smartphones on wheels. And so these data specifications, as they come out, you know, what ends up becoming the early standard oftentimes becomes the default computing protocol. And so when we think about what the long-term implications of shared micromobility are, understanding how these are evolving and what's involved with them, because we can see things like layering on top for payments, layering on top for being able to say, if you want to connect to a transit station, for example, or be able to walk out of a, out of a train and then be able to seamlessly go on and open, open a scooter and have it all connected via a payment mechanism, etc. All of that would, in theory, at the end of the day, anybody who's wanting to build this stuff wants to build on an open, an open computing protocol. And so, if they can, we can see there being a parallel to what ended up happening with the GTFS. And the GTFS is the Generalized Transport, what is it? Transit Feed Specification. 
That's the one which was developed by Google and Portland and ended up becoming the standard for how you know where all your buses and trains are and how Google Maps knows where they are and CityMapper knows where they are and Transit knows where they are, etc. So it's an interesting thing and I think it's a really important conversation to continue to follow. And that's my little five cents on the top of why we think it's interesting in our space. It is. And it, it, well, it's important for micromobility, but it actually has the original idea of NDS was much broader than scooters. It was actually really seen as a language, to your point that could encompass autonomous vehicles, drones, other types of mobility that could come down the pipeline. It's just, it's kind of for sort of a matter of happenstance, kind of, micromobility became the place where it was built. And that's created some tensions actually, which, which we'll get into. Just to finish the context part of the conversation, as MDS was being built, there were some questions raised, particularly by Uber, saying, well, wait a minute, you're collecting individual trip information and collecting it in real time, potentially, you being Los Angeles in this case, like this is actually potentially an infringement on privacy. This is what Uber claimed, saying that the data, even though there's no information collected about who took in particular trips on MDS, like there's no user ID or anything, it's still possible to de-anonymize that data and raise questions about could the law enforcement claim access to data in dangerous ways or could a, a bad actor be able to access that information to stalk someone, terrible scenarios. And Uber for that reason said, we really cannot go along with MDS, at least in terms of the real-time elements and the individual trip side. And although cities are, are generally skeptical of, of Uber and what they advocate for for a variety of reasons, Uber does have some strong allies on its side in these arguments. In the United States, that includes the ACLU, a civil liberties group, as well as a number of other sort of privacy advocacy nonprofits that are quite well respected in the tech community in the United States. So it's become a pretty, it was already a hot controversial topic when I wrote about it in April and when we did our podcast over the summer and a lot's happened since then and the controversies have really not gone away. Excellent. Why don't we just take it through chronologically from what happened when we talked about it in June last year? So a lot has happened and feel free to just jump in. I've sketched out a really brief timeline in advance of our podcast. So to try to bring us up from what was happening in June. So at that time, actually, there was a bill called AB 1112 in the California state legislature that would have explicitly prevented any cities from collecting real-time trip information. So that would have cut the legs out of MDS in LA. And it passed one branch of the state legislature, did not pass the other, and has been sort of in this weird limbo space for a while. That may come back, by the way, so good to know that happened last summer. I actually wrote an article in City Lab about it, if people are curious. That was also an interesting one because as far as I understood from that bill, they were also saying that the ability of cities or specifically kind of councils to set the caps on the number of scooters that were going to be deployed was going to be restricted. Was that correct? So it was. So originally... AB 1112 was a very different kind of bill that looked at indemnification. It looked at insurance issues and to some extent caps, I think. Don't quote me on that part. But And it was actually proposed not by Uber, but, but by some of the shared micromobility companies. But it changed dramatically in the spring of 2019. And effectively, what ended up being voted on was a bill that pretty much zeroed in specifically on real-time data. So it was there was some dramatic changes to that bill. So also, and again, a lot of this is happening in California because obviously that's where micromobility was born. It's where Los Angeles is. It's been leading MDS. 
So that's where a lot of, of some of the sort of skirmishes have played out. And in August, actually, this is also going to come back. The California Legislative Council gave an opinion that MDS is, in his opinion, not legal in California because of a framework called CalECPA in California that basically establishes privacy rights of individuals. And again, in the opinion of the California Legislative Council, which I believe is nonpartisan, it's that you can't require real-time data to be transferred from individual trips to the public entity. Now, LA feels very differently, and they argued about this, and there's no initial enforcement mechanism of the Legislative Council's opinion regarding CalICBA, but that's an ongoing question that was, frankly, even yesterday, we're recording this in late February, there was a hearing about this in Sacramento with the state Senate in California, where the council reiterated that opinion that, in his view, you can't require real-time data because of CalECPA. So that was a skirmish that happened last summer. And then a big thing happened, too, last year, sort of the middle of the year, which is that Los Angeles followed through on something that, to her credit, Salida Reynolds had long said she wanted to do, which is to transfer the management of the mobility data specification as a spec away from the city of L.A. and towards a nonprofit called the Open Mobility Foundation. And funding for OMF came from Rockefeller Foundation, the Knight Foundation, as well as some private partners, which include Bird and Spin and Microsoft and Lacuna, which is a company that bought Ellison Associates, which helped build MDS under Los Angeles. Interestingly, we'll come back to that. But the board of the Open Mobility Foundation are city department of transportation directors. And importantly, some of those DOT directors, and they're all American, some of them include leaders from cities like Minneapolis and San Jose, that have taken a very different approach toward individual trip data and real-time trip data vis-a-vis aggregated data from what Los Angeles has pursued. For example, the director of public works in Minneapolis is on the board, and in Minneapolis, they actually aggregate all the data. They don't want individual trip data at all for privacy reasons. So it's interesting sort of watching that play out. Also, OMF is run by a, in my opinion, very credible urban technologist, if you will, named Yasha Franklin Hodge. He's the executive director. I think that's his title. And he is the former chief technology officer for the city of Boston. He lives in Boston. And he spent some time in Silicon Valley. He went to MIT for a while. He knows his stuff, I think. And he's sort of managing the evolution of NDS going forward, including now. So a key question that Yasha Franklin Hodge and the board of the Open Mobility Foundation are currently wrestling with is whether to to focus or how to balance, I should say, focusing on improving the spec for scooters because the experience of cities like Chicago shows that the data feeds are are sometimes imperfect and perhaps could be improved vis-a-vis expanding MDS to new forms of mobility. You know, that could include ride hail, it could include autonomous vehicles, anything. And that, I think, becomes a pretty interesting strategic question that OMF is, is going to be considering. We can pause there, but of course, want to also talk further about the ongoing scuffles between Los Angeles and Jump over MDS, yeah. which are continuing. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to get into that as well. So I guess that the, the one thing that I, I found when I saw the OMF launched, 
I was like, wow, that's quite a coup for Salida to take it away from being just about, as you say, just Los Angeles and saying, we're actually gonna make this, it's gonna be a data specification that gets adopted by many, many, many cities. So let's go and put it into something that's independent and allow that to go ahead. The only question then becomes, are they able to therefore move as quickly or move if it's not being driven in terms of what they're trying to do? You kind of go into a, a consortium and consortiums typically move a little bit slower than for example, one city which is just plowing ahead and saying, look, this is how the standard's gonna develop and this is where all the, this is all the new features we're gonna be able to add and things like that. Since it has launched, what's your assessment on how well they've been able to kind of bring or get the, the teams on board to be able to actually progress the specification? Like has it actually, has, it, has that meant that it kind of ended up stalling or do you think that with them now in this structure, they're actually able to move and develop more features and capabilities? Yeah, yeah, I did a public event at Harvard with Yasha Franklin Hodge just after he stepped into the role leading OMF. And that was in October, and we're recording this at the end of February. And at the time, Yasha had zero employees. Now I think he might have one or maybe two. So to be to be candid, in terms of you ask like how has OMF emerged, Yasha has a very good handle, in my view, on the issues at play. But if you look for new things that have come out of OMF, there haven't been a whole lot of announcements. So I think it's too early to really know how that's going to play out but there's a lot of eyes on the organization. Yep, excellent. Yep, cool, including mine. <laughs> yeah, it's worth keeping an eye on. Frankly, he's got a good Twitter account too. If you wanna know what they're up to, you can find him without too much of a problem. Should we talk about LA and Uber? Because there's a lot going on there. Yeah, there is, there is. I'd love to hear it. I mean, it was really, it turned into a bit of a people throwing food at each other by the sounds of things. It's, it's an ongoing tension, shall we say. But what happened in all candor is that, you know, Los Angeles has the biggest e-scooter deployment in the United States now. Is it 30,000 plus devices? I should have a number handy, but I don't. But it's, it's a lot. And, you know, New York and Chicago still don't have more than like small pilot programs around micromobility and, and Boston barely does too. So LA is huge. And Jump is one of the providers there. And in sort of like the middle of last year toward the fall, LA started really sort of enforcing the requirement that all of the providers adhere to not just the provider spec, but agency, the provider API as well as agency APIs for MDS. And that means really pushing the providers provide information in real time. With Actually, in LA, right. it's required a five-second lag, individual trips with a five-second lag. And, and is that said, no. during the actual trip as well, or as soon as the trip is finished? Then the It's the device sending pings or breadcrumbs every five seconds. And the other providers are going along with it. And Jump said, we're not going to do that. We'll provide the other information, like we'll let you know if a device is going to be used or not, but you know we're not going to provide real-time information of trips. It's a violation of privacy. And yep. so Uber slash Jump, because Uber owns Jump, said, okay, so that, that, that's their position. And, and then LADOT told Uber Jump, fine, then you need to leave. We're going to take away your permit. And late last year, Jump threatened to file suit. And then it went to a appellate hearing with the city of L.A. And we just a couple of weeks ago got the results of, of, of that hearing, which was heard, as I understand it, was by an attorney with the city of L.A. who handles these types of appeals. And the result went in favor of LADOT and that LADOT was seen as having the right to tell Jump, 
you can't operate here if you're not going to adhere to agency or provide data with a five second lag, because I think the, the attitude there was jump can always just leave. That's their right. recourse or their remedy. But at the same time, the finding also said that LADOT had not done a compelling job of explaining what they need individual trip real-time information for. And that really is a fundamental question. This came up just yesterday at the state Senate hearing in California, too, where, where legislators were asking Salida Reynolds about it. It's really hard. This is a fundamental question of NDS, and I think it's great for people to, to appreciate this. Pretty much everyone, including Uber slash Jump, values having a standard so that every provider doesn't have to provide different data, different formats to different cities. That's all good, really. I think everybody agrees with that. And by the way, Jump is providing data in LA through other elements of MDS. The real question is this real-time data piece for individual trips, because the argument that many people have made and that Uber has made, but Uber has defenders or allies in this, is to say that whatever policy goals you have as a city, that you can meet them with aggregated data in the same way that you could with individual trip data. And there's really no way in which you would use real-time information to reach a different conclusion or have a different ability than you would from information that's collected with, say, a latency of 24 hours or more. And to be honest, there's a point there. Like, think about it. Like, I think this is one of the most interesting parts of the MDS debates now, because if you go back and look at some of these technologists who helped the city of Los Angeles build MDS, Ellison Associates, which was acquired by Lacuna, you know, they talk about active management. They talk about sort of acting as air traffic control for actually autonomous vehicles. And that could sort of make sense if you imagine like the city saying, hey, Uber driver or AV operator, you have to move your cars away from this street over to that one because we're trying to balance congestion or we're trying to achieve some other social goal. And, you know, a, a driver could see that or an operator of AV could see that and respond accordingly. But it's really hard to see how you would ever as a city want to provide real-time instructions to somebody who's actually riding an e-scooter or an e-bike. I mean, they're all, Absolutely. That you're, that's just a safe, it's an obvious safety issue. So it's really baffling what exactly it's going to be needed for. And this is what the, I guess the person who heard the appeal in LA felt as well, saying LADOT had not really explained what the value would be or what the need was for real-time scooter information. So that's where that piece stands. And then the only other thing I would mention, because I think it's important in terms of where we are bringing us to the current day, is that just in the last couple of weeks, a number of stories have come out, including one which I really encourage everybody to read, that Laura Bliss, a reporter at City Lab, spent months reporting on. And, and she did a really deep dive into the relationship between the city of Los Angeles and those two contractors I mentioned, Ellison Associates and Lacuna. And Lacuna bought Ellison Associates. Lacuna is funded by Andy Rubin, who helped build Android. They've got a lot of money, led by a former executive at Verizon. And it's pretty clear from the stories that have come out and Laura's diligent reporting that officials like John Ellis, who founded Ellison Associates, was introducing himself at a variety of events as being the chief technology officer for the city of LA, that there was a lot of confusion about dividing lines in those groups. And frankly, Lacuna officials or executives were helping to create the Open Mobility Foundation. 
So that's created this really murky situation of public-private partnership that has led to, frankly, some sort of murmurings among city transportation officials in the United States saying, what's all this about? Do we need to be worried about this? And what's going on? So that's really where we are now. It's been an active few months for sure. And to be honest, I think that the next, the 2020 is going to be really interesting to see how MDS evolves as well. That was a great summary. Thank you so much. Cool. So I guess what would be really useful for me is also what has happened in that period in terms of adoption of MDS? Because one thing that I found really interesting when we were in Europe for Micromobility Berlin was that almost all the European operators were talking about how every city, they still had to come up with individualized standards and reporting standards. Like nobody had, there is no MDS standard for Europe as far as I can understand. And I found that surprising because normally the Europeans are far better on the standardization of data about stuff. Is there anything, any insight that you can share there around adoption of MDS and where that's working? Yeah, I've been following that as best I can from being based in the US. I actually was over in Brussels to give a, a talk to a bunch of city officials from across Europe in November, so I learned some then. And what I have consistently heard is, again, focusing on Europe, where you see sort of like the broadest deployment of micromobility outside North America, right? I guess I'm not, I'm not really thinking of China when I say that, because that's its own kettle of fish. Yeah, but even then, they kind of do bike shares, but they haven't really got the electric, especially, so, yeah. And in Europe, well, for one thing, keep in mind in Europe, there's huge parts of Europe that don't allow shared micromobility at all still. Like the UK hasn't yet adopted it or enabled it. Italy hasn't. So just keep that in mind, which I think actually in America, we can lose sight of that pretty easily. But for the the countries where it does exist, there have been some cities that have have used MDS because it is sort of like the pre-existing spec. Lisbon is one that I know is using it. I believe there's a couple cities in France, but they it's only now, as I as I understand it, that this whole idea of, of data collection is being attacked directly by a lot of city officials in Europe because they haven't it hasn't been front and center the way it has been in America for probably you know a couple of years now. Interestingly, I've been told Paris decided they want to create their entirely own spec, which to an American feels very French. I've not looked into huge detail in, into that, but I found it amusing. But again, I think that one of the greatest values of MDS, which I don't think anybody disagrees with, is the standardization. And I think that that's something that could be super useful in Europe as well, both to help the operators be able to submit the information easily, but also to enable comparisons from city to city. If you're collecting different kinds of data with different types of definitions for data elements from country to country or city to city, it's just a mess. And I expect for a standard or maybe a couple standards to emerge in Europe like that. I frankly hope that it is MDS in that way, because just like you were, you mentioned GTFS before, the data standard for transit, it's super useful, right? For like, you know, companies like Transit App or City Mapper to be able to capitalize on that, to be able to pretty easily expand across national boundaries and make urban mobility a little simpler. I hope we don't end up in a world where there's like six different standards that are being used from continent to continent or region to region. But then the other wild part in this is GDPR, the sort of privacy law in Europe that I think is still sort of being sorted out. It's hard for me to see how, well, I think it's an open question of how the privacy issues that California is wrestling with around real-time individual trip data would apply to, in Europe with with GDPR as, as a big sort of constraint across the continent there with the EU. 
Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what the total kind of, if we purely did it on total count of MDS, do you know how many cities are now deploying it? The number I've heard is around 60, but I would imagine that number could grow this year because keep in mind, at least in North America and Europe, you know, it's February. So as we all know, e-scooters come out in spring in a lot of markets. And I know that cities like where I live in Washington, D.C., D.C. is now using MDS in 2020 for the first time. And I expect a lot of other markets that are going to be adopting shared e-scooters potentially for the first time or sort of codifying their programs are going to yep. be using a standard for the first time. And the default one generally is MDS. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. The, the Europe one, I, I totally get you. I think it's very... It wouldn't surprise me to see the EU want to develop their own standard. And I imagine France would want to like lead that on their own if they were going to, you know, they would want to. Paris is definitely by far the biggest market in that space. And as you say, it's very French for them to want to go and do their own thing. Love Paris. But, great city. Great city. Yeah. Oh, great city. And also amazing with micromobility. Like it just changes the whole city about how you can get around. It's great. Cool. Well, look, the other, the other thing as well, for folks who are kind of wanting to watch this space, what are the things that you think are going to be the kind of the tension points as we see it and what to look out for, I guess, in 2020? Yeah, I think there are several and we've touched on a couple of them. I frankly think what you were just talking about, what Europe is going to do is a really interesting question to watch. Will MDS become the default standard in Europe or is it going to go a different direction? I frankly think this year we'll probably figure that out. I think that another question relates to really how things are going to play out with sort of like the, for lack of a better way of putting it, the jump versus Los Angeles DOT question of whether Los Angeles and potentially other cities as well are going to be able to continue requiring real-time information from scooter trips as well as individual trip information, or if there's either a voluntary move by a lot of cities toward aggregated and sort of delayed trip information, or if there's not. So for specifically, will California end up passing a law or taking action to sort of prevent real-time trip data collection, which is what AB 1112, that bill I mentioned earlier, would have done had it passed last year. On the other hand, you know, Los Angeles is the only city that has a requirement that providers provide data with a five-second lag or less. Basically, real-time So nobody's actually implementing it at the moment other than LA, by the sounds of That's things. right. And so the, that begs the question, you know, it's a big deal if there's a second city that goes down that path. I just heard about a city that is considering requiring a three-minute lag, which would be a big deal if it ultimately ends up that way, because that's actually a much tighter lag time or latency than we're seeing elsewhere. That's a big question to watch. And then the other thing I, I, would, I would keep an eye on is the Open Mobility Foundation's evolution. Are they going to focus on improving data collection for micromobility, which is something that for those who may have seen the city of Chicago's review of its pilot micromobility deployment, by the way, it's a huge market in the U.S., Chicago, they had a lot of problems with the accuracy of the data collected through MDS. And I've talked to some operators that have said, you know, why are we thinking about expanding MDS to new modes when at the moment it feels like it's garbage in, garbage out? So is OMF going to focus on tightening that or is OMF going to focus on expanding MDS to encompass new modes, whether it's AVs or ride hail in certain instances or something else? Uh, just a few earlier this month, actually, mo shared mopeds were added to MDS, which was kind of interesting. Really? So is that Rivel? 
and the team there? Yeah, I mean, Revel's an option. I think there's a couple others now in the across the U.S. too. But yeah. that's a new element that was quietly added a couple of weeks ago. I want to give a shout out to uh, Riley Brennan of Trucks VC for noting that and putting it out in his newsletter, which is an interesting little evolution. But I think those are the questions that I would really point to. What's Europe going to do? Are other cities going to follow LA's lead and require real-time information for scooter trips? Or will, will LA, frankly, be blocked from doing it itself? And what is the next step for the Open Mobility Foundation? Yeah, I agree. It's been really interesting. I mean, again, I think anybody who's been listening to this podcast for a while will know that the reason I'm interested in the spec has been because I think that ultimately for a lot of consumers, they want to walk down the street and just go to the nearest scooter, unlock it, don't have to think about, it would be great if it was all integrated to their own, they've got a transit card, for example, for their bus or train or whatever, that can facilitate the payment on all of this. And they can open and open and end rides on any of these we're all with seamless that it's all seamless and i and i saw mds as being a potential option for making that happen and obviously the standardization of the basic protocol would you know those are the building blocks that you need to be able to make that happen because it's going a lot slower than i thought it would you know when we first had this conversation last year i had thought oh you know we, we might see the relative speed of this coming through and that we'd be able to add payments to this relatively quickly etc cetera, etc cetera. And I think that in the meantime, I think what that's doing is just creating space for companies to come in and say, look, I'm going to build some sort of creative solution. I know that IOMOB, who's one of the companies that we'd originally interviewed on the podcast, I think we did episode six with them. I've recently started advising them on, because this is exactly what they're doing. They're saying, look, we're getting a lot of people coming to us saying we want to be able to integrate and build this internet of mobility that allows for the seamless integration between all of these different things. And they're working with micromobility players across Europe at the moment to, to be able to build a API and SDK so that folks can, for example, easily access that. You were telling me recently about another company that's also been backed by Riley in the States who's doing that with public transport as well. Token Transit. Token Transit. And that's where I can see that there's, you know, because the if the open source stuff doesn't take as, or takes a long time, then what you'll see is like, I think, the evolution of companies that will emerge and say, we're going to solve for this problem. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the interoperability, I think, is going to be one of those I want to say it's going to be a killer feature. I, I certainly think it will be very valuable to consumers and being able to have all of this work. And I, the question then I think becomes, are governments able to adapt quickly enough with the right infrastructure and protocols, et cetera, that allows them to capture everything that's going to happen or the innovation that's going to happen? I certainly wonder as well around, I assume you know Dmitry Chevalenko from Tortoise and the, and the work that they're... Yeah, I've actually been helping him with some stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you're an advisor, if I may remember correctly. And you know what's going to happen in the in the autonomy space for micromobility, and whether or not, for example, specifications like this would be able to adapt quickly, as quickly as they probably need to, when at the same time you've got you know rel- the techers on that stuff going to start advancing quite quickly, I think, and you'll start seeing deployments into specific areas. Yeah. So anyway, I think all of this is very interesting and right on the kind of the cutting edge of mobility and cities and the data interactions with between governments and being able to grant social license to the operators who want to put their vehicles on the street, how all that's going to work. I would say, you know, MBS was really born out of an, a need on behalf of cities just for simple management of micromobility. Like, how do we make sure the, the operators are staying within a cap? How do we make sure that we're not having broken devices littering the sidewalks and making it hard to navigate. That's just sort of like a, it's like lower down on Maslow's pyramid of needs, if you will, like from a city perspective, we just need to like have some way of managing this stuff. 
once we got that right, then I think that opens up, we go up a little bit further up that pyramid in terms of sort of a higher level need. Then they can say, well, well, it'd be great now that we're managing micromobility if we can integrate it <laughs> proactively yes, yes. instead of yes. worrying about the bad stuff, but get excited about the good stuff and find a way to integrate ticketing across different types of modes. So micromobility and transit is an integrated ticket or something like that. This gets into mobility as a service. And let's see if we can find creative solutions to make micromobility more of a sustainable solution for, say, commuter rail passengers, which is something that tortoises is working on the AV startup that you mentioned earlier. That to me gets exciting and that's sort of like the next step because first you just need that baseline of successful management or workable management on behalf of cities so that, that scooters are not sort of creating so many problems that it's not feasible either politically or practically to actually have them be broadly deployed. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Excellent. Well, look, David, I think we're right up against on time. So is there anything final that you'd like that you think the audience might want to go check out? I mean, certainly I can link to Laura's article in the show notes. Yeah. You want to I think Laura's article would be great. If people are curious about the initial article I wrote on MDS and Slate, that would be cool too. I wrote an article about AB 1112, that California bill, which might be, for those who really want to get deep, could get into it. I would just note that actually, yeah, this is going to come up. I think I'll be doing an event on March 11th at Harvard with NACTO, the National Association of City Transportation Officials, talking about state preemption of local mobility technology management. And I think this is going to come up in terms of sort of how scooters and e-bikes are managed at the local level and whether states should step in, which gets into like the AB 1112 stuff. I'll be doing that at Harvard on the 11th with Corinne Kisner, who's the executive director of NACTO, and folks can contact me or, or they can look at the Kennedy School site to find it. And by the way, if people want to contact me, the best way is on Twitter, at David Zipper, easy enough that way. And again, if folks have questions or ideas, frankly, I've gotten some really interesting leads and ideas on these topics through yeah. Twitter. So I hope people will reach out and, and let me know if there's stuff that I should be aware of or you know, if, I, if I'm missing something, I'm, I'm always all ears. Excellent. All right. Well, look, thank you so much, Dave. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to seeing you in California. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Oliver. Thanks. Cheers.